And just like that, we've arrived at the end of another school year. Today, our seniors are going to graduate and they're going to experience the joy of, of all of their community coming together to celebrate this huge accomplishment for them. And then after all the partying, after all the dinners, they're going to begin a new phase in their lives. Congratulations, class of 2018. We are going to miss you. Lhasa is going to miss you. This is our final episode of season three. Like it's been our tradition for the past two seasons, this final episode is dedicated to the individual stories of the staff of the 408. So much of their time, you know, they just spend it exploring the stories of other students and like of the lives of other people. And now it's their turn. And boy, do we have a show for you. So stay tuned. Anyone can tell you that Ira Rayo del Sol is a happy soul. She can make you smile and laugh with her silliness and her energy. She's a great actor, a talented singer, and overall a strong human being. In this first segment, Ira shares a story that demonstrates this strength and that kind of gives us a peek into this world that surrounds her and uh, where this strength might have originated. Almost half of my life, I hide something from the people around me. I have this voice in my head rejecting the part that I consider my flaw from a long time. I'm a happy and outgoing person. I use art as an expression of myself because in art, everything is acceptable. There's no categories in art. Unlike in this society, unlike me in this society fall into a category. I am a simple teenager. I go to school, I procrastinate, had a few infatuations. I have a part-time job, I have good times with my family and friends, but there's one thing I'm lacking. And this is owning who I really am. Embracing my sexuality. I am a bisexual woman, which means I am attracted to both sexes. But in the spectrum of my bisexuality, I am leaning more to women. Only some people in my life know this about me. I have trust issues when it comes to amplifying who I really am. I even hide this to my parents for a long time. But recently, last May 22nd, I came out to my mom. You see, I am currently in a relationship with a woman for about four months now, and one day, after playing a couple of board games with her and my friends on the same day, I came out to my mom that night. I would always watch coming out to parents' videos on YouTube and see how extravagant and full of effort some people do it, or even sometimes they would just prefer to do it on a phone call. And of course, since I want a happy ending, I would watch the one with the positive results. Seeing these videos made me cry and get jealous a little. I would always think and wish to have that courage. That night, after I dropped off my girlfriend on that train station, I was sitting on my couch, 
smiling like an idiot. My heart was so happy. That one person is making me so happy in the most simple ways. I was so happy that I don't want to keep the reason behind it anymore, not to my parents, not to everyone. So I told her, my mom. She was breastfeeding my baby sister that time, and I sent her a text. Mommy, pwede po ba kayo lumabas sa kwarto saglit? May tatanong lang po ako. In translation, Mom, will you be able to go out in the room? I have a question to ask. She said in reply, Pinapatulog ko ang kapatid mo. I'm putting your sister to sleep. So I replied, Never mind, I figure it out. I was telling myself, Maybe not today. But ten minutes later, she went out and asked, Anong problema? What's the matter? I told her, Nothing. I was just going to ask something, but I figured it out. And she asked, What did you figure out? Then I just sit there quietly. I'm trying to hold back my tears, but I couldn't. So my mom asked, Makakagraduate ka ba? Are you going to be able to graduate? And dad choked me up, and I kind of cracked up. And I told her, Of course, mom. Then she asked, Then, anong problema? Then what's the problem? Following up with more questions, every time I would shake my head no, asking, My boyfriend ka na? Do you have a boyfriend? Someone bullied you? And then she sat beside me and held me close to her. Are you pregnant? I choked again and laughed. And my mom said, Pinapag-alala mo ko. Ano bang problema? You're making me worried. What's the matter? Before I told her, I gasped a moment to take a deep breath because I don't know what to expect and I started by saying, There is someone that's making me happy and it's a girl. I don't want to hide her anymore. I am bisexual. And then she said, Matagal ko nang ramdam. I already felt that about you a long time ago. Then she said, Sino? Yung kasama mo nung isang araw? Who is the girl? The one that you were with last time? And I said, yes. Then she asked me, Anong pangalan niya? What's her name? And I told her, Yesenia. And then she asked, Tahana, tanggap kita mula ulo hanggang paa. Ayoko lang na may masasabi ang mga tao against sa'yo. Stop crying now. I accept you from head to toe. I just don't want people saying bad things against you. And here's the reaction of my girlfriend about me coming out to my parents. Well, that's like a big separating. Like it takes courage to come out to your parents, you know? And I feel like you reached that important step. What do you think pushed me to come out? You didn't want to hide me anymore. You want your parents to know about us. Because that's what you really thought inside your heart. You just wanted them to know who you are, who you're with, who makes you happy. And you did it. Coming out is not 
a one-time deal. You need to come out to people that don't have an idea what is your sexual orientation. Here's two of my friends, Shania and Louis, to talk about how I came out to them. What was your initial reaction when I came out to you? I remember how I was new to Lhasa and you were really friendly and we had this field trip going on. It was at downtown and then we both had to share our we both uh, got to share a bus. Mm-hmm. So we both sat together and you were just really friendly. You were um, you were trying to make a conversation and then I was trying to keep up with the conversation and we were just really having a good time. But one thing I noticed, like there was something peculiar about you. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, you were just so loud. <laughs> you were just so out there, mm-hmm. you know, compared to me. I mean, I could be pretty loud, but like you were on a different kind of level. <laughs> oh my God. And then it came out of nowhere, but you were just like, oh, you know what, Shania, I'm special. And I'm like, oh, okay, wait, does that mean that she's special, special? Like, there's something, you know, going on with her. Sorry, special. <laughs> yeah. So that was that. And then only to find out that you weren't special as I thought. Oh, oh. you weren't special of what I interpreted, but you were special because of your sexuality. All right. So, what was your initial response of me coming out? I just assumed that you were into girls because you were showing like signs of it. Whenever I look at someone and like you'd laugh and you like you exactly know where I was like looking. So it's kind of like. I don't even know. I like probably think that we even had the same type when it comes to girls. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, well, like my response, like from the very beginning, was like, I mean, I don't really care mm-hmm. because like, I don't mind having a friend like you. You know, like I didn't see you any different. Mm-hmm any differently from before like nothing changed my mind about you like you were the same like old Ira before I even come out to my mom I would always say to my friends and my girlfriend that as long as my parents would accept me opinions of other people would never defeat the weight of it because at the end of the day when you are accepted by your family and your closest friend that's the most important feeling it emphasizes the validity of who you identify yourself. Kayla Ibarra is a natural storyteller. From the moment I met her, I knew she would be an asset to the AP Lit class because of the passionate way she spoke about reading and literature in general. I have seen Kayla's strength and courage. I have learned about the obstacles that she's had to overcome, that she continues trying to overcome. In this next segment, Kayla shares a story that she comes back to again and again, like like how we come back to things that are difficult and, and just exhausting to unravel.
I was about six. I was sitting on the trunk of my stepfather's red Toyota Camry. It was early March, around six in the morning, and in Wisconsin, this means that the snow has melted into the ground, but the temperature is still just above freezing. My young, tough skin didn't bother with the jacket. I liked the cold. What I did manage was mittens, pants that stopped at the ankles, and a stained oversized t-shirt. My sister and stepfather weren't awake, and my mother was supposed to come home from the graveyard shift at the nursing home two towns over. I was waiting for her to come back home. My mother worked long and hard, and I was aware that she slept during the day, but not before she got my sister and I to school. Two older women were out for a morning jog, and they approached me that morning. They asked me why I was out, where my parents were, and if they could speak to anyone. I explained that they were sleeping, and that I was waiting for my mother to get off from work. They insisted that I take them to my stepfather. I did. He came to the door and said something cold to the women. The joggers left. I was told to stay inside. No longer than ten minutes, maybe, passed before there was a knock on our door again. This time it was two police officers. My stepfather was furious. Constantly he referred to police as pigs. So his conversation with them was less than pleasant. This was all my fault. My mother pulled into the parking lot and looked cold and exhausted. I frantically told her what had happened. She sweet-talked the officers, explaining my good intentions while preventing my stepfather from saying anything too harsh or telling to the officers. It wasn't uncommon for police to come to our constantly changing address. The fights between my mother and stepfather could get very violent, and oftentimes I found myself becoming involved in dialing 911. Nothing especially bad ever happened. The police usually left. It always seemed like I was leaving. As I grow older and ready to leave another nest, it becomes evident that I'll never stop moving around, but it suits me now. I got used to a lot growing up. We were always getting evicted and moving around when I was young. Things became loose in my short life as I tried fitting into a caretaker role. One morning, a knock came on our door. At the time, we were living with my step-grandmother, who had just fallen ill and had gotten taken to the hospital the night before. At the door was two policemen with a couple of women with ID badges that read, Human Resources. I didn't think anything unusual would take place that morning. Certainly not that I was being moved into a temporary home and was promised that I'd be back in no time. Think of it like a little vacation, is what my mother told me. Well, I ended up being on this vacation from 2009 to 2012. They were tough, but transformative years. I learned about how people should actually treat each other. I got a new model for existing, new place, new parents, new everything. After that, I didn't think I'd have to move anymore. Stability was something my social worker talked about a lot. You need stability. We want you to have a happy life. I was finally stable, finally safe, finally healthy and happy. In the spring of 2012, a court hearing was held regarding where I'd be permanently moved. My social worker told me that I couldn't stay in foster care forever. She'd already had to renew the paperwork twice and couldn't do it again. She said that no one's actually supposed to stay in foster care that long. I needed a real home with real family. I thought I'd gotten that already. It was a warm morning, and yes, I was nervous. The scariest part of that morning was seeing my stepfather after three years. He had grayed and looked old and bitter. 
I was to come into the hearing at the end of the trial to hear my aunt's testimony via phone call and hear the verdict. I was seated by myself on one side of the courtroom while I got to watch and listen to the end of the trial. During the trial, I frequently nodded to the judge who looked at me at the end of every sentence she spoke. They were really trying to do the best for me. That made me feel better at the time. I was to uh, move with my aunt and uncle in California, where I'd live until I was an adult. I was allowed to talk to my mother just before leaving. She cried and cried, but said it was for the best. I knew that what she said was true back then. I know it now. My foster parents were really lovely old people. Really sweet, always a lot of kids in the house, real big family. The day I was supposed to leave, they had given me a card right before I was supposed to uh, fly to the airport. My foster dad had handed me an envelope and turned his head down toward his desk. I heard him sniffle when he closed his eyes. I sat on the front step of the house I'd lived in temporarily for the past three years. I tore open the soft yellow envelope to a card with a cartoon character with outstretched arms and big letters reading, This card contains an actual hug. There were two different cursive fonts. The pencil marks first signified my foster dad, who said, It's a sad day to see you leave this house. He continued to say how they considered me their real daughter. Then my foster mom, who wrote how very smart, talented, and strong I was. Every once in a while, I open up that card when I need to cry. My final and most recent farewell was from that small subdivision in Wisconsin where I had lived to the hyper-populated San Fernando Valley in California. That plane ride was a hard one. Turbulent, too. When we landed from a straight four-hour flight, everyone in the cabin applauded. My uncle met me at the baggage claim where we waited quietly for my bright green suitcase filled with anything I could cling to from what I'd left behind. Stuffed animals and a baby blanket, the first books I'd read, all of my diaries since I began to write, a collection of myself. There's a picture that my uncle excitedly took of me at the airport. I'm skinny, very tan, and wearing red wire glasses, a green striped jacket that used to be my sister's and a half-grin that is given away by my eyes. I was 12. I was torn apart on the inside. As a young kid, especially once I was put in the system, adults were always telling me how resilient I was. I learned the word optimistic as it was used to describe me. Because of therapy, Al-Anon, and overanalyzation into the psychological ongoings, I realized that they mistook my jokes and constant smiles for okay. I wasn't. I'm still not. I think in a lot of ways I'm still the shaken up little kid that got off that plane. But I suppose I'm learning to figure it out. With a lot of help, of course. Gradually. Soon I'll be going off to college to study music and theater, my two favorite things in the world. I've always been enamored with art and in love with performing. It helps take away from my own issues when I can be in service to others. That's also something I learned in Al-Anon. My aunt really is the only reason I have any coping skills at all. She put me into acting classes and found choir for me and made sure I was getting into therapy and got me to go to Al-Anon. Both my aunt and uncle have been real protective factors for my resiliency, according to uh, many physiological articles I've read. Things at home have 
not really been great lately. I think my aunt and uncle are worried I'm going to end up something horrible. For them, I suppose it doesn't look like I've grown that much since I was 12. They're always asking me how an intelligent, capable young woman can be so uncaring. I never have an answer for them. I worry that I can't stop disappointing them. They expect a lot. But I guess we'll see what the future holds for me and whether I can take it or not. Coping with the past while moving towards the future is the biggest difficulty for me right now. Things will always feel complicated, but not impossible. I have a support system and family and friends to turn to. I'm going to college soon where I plan to figure things out at least a little. I hope to be successful and make the people I care about proud, that's all. I guess I consider my life to be one of struggle and resilience. And the point of this story is to really stay hopeful. I anticipate there'll be more challenges and learning experiences for me. But I think I'm excited and prepared enough for whatever blows my way. Every time my students do this assignment, I'm, I'm reminded of everything they carry with them as they make their way through life. I'm always amazed by their strength and courage and their ability to survive. And I'm also reminded about how important it is for help to be available for them to deal with the sometimes emotional trauma they carry. That it's not enough to simply acknowledge their pain as if the simple act of adults knowing is of any consolation or of any help. In this next segment, Sally Melchor talks about the importance of talking, of solving, of not letting things fester. As we grow, at some point we face a difficult time in our lives whether we like it or not. But when you have a family that doesn't try to cope, it makes it that much harder for someone to come to peace. My name is Sally Melchor, and this is my story. There was a time in my life when it felt like my family was falling apart. My parents were fighting like if it were every hour of the day. Till this day, my home doesn't feel like home. I always felt like it was just a temporary place. About a year ago, my father was accused of cheating and my mom hasn't let it go. I don't blame her, but there is a boundary in our private lives that doesn't need to be shared. But my mom won't stop repeating the story to people because recently she did. And my 11-year-old sister has had enough, as have I. I hate when she does that because it's like she wants everyone to know and get in their business. And it's not supposed to be like that. I got mad because you're right. She does that all the time. Like Whether it's their situation or any situation in general, she goes out and tells people and it gets me mad because I'm just like, that's just, that's personal. You can't be talking about it like that. I mean, for us, we're talking about it and we're crying. Seeing my sister cry only broke my heart. I knew she wasn't okay. She needed someone to talk to. But then I remembered the time my own father wanted to take his life away. Remember that day where um, we ran outside and we saw dad about a jump? I honestly can't get that picture out of my head. I never can. <laughs> Either. Living with a family that usually never shows their emotion makes it difficult for any of us to communicate and understand each other and the position each of us are in. 
That affected not only my parents, but mainly my little sister. And that has made me feel like I failed as being her older sister. I should have realized during that time that she wasn't okay. Why would she be? I remember when I saw that in Eddie. The next day, I didn't want to do anything. At school, I started to cry. And everyone just wanted to know what was wrong with me. I didn't know that. It was like, when I was at school, I had to act like a different person. I had to keep it all in and just pretended nothing happened. And it was hard. When I got home, I felt just like I was in a trap, able to do nothing but cry. I didn't want to stay here, so I tried to do my best to just go with your ear or stay in all that. But at one point, I had to come back. I have to admit, I never really showed her I cared or what I felt, but just the fact that I wasn't aware of what was going on with her left me in the position where I hoped it isn't too late to still be there for her. This is why I feel like I suck because I felt I felt like I gave you the idea that you couldn't tell me anything. I didn't know you felt that way. I didn't know that happened at school. Yeah. And I've been through it. I could have talked to you about it, but you didn't talk to me. I don't know. I never asked you how you felt, and I I should have done that because just hearing everything you're telling me now is just kind of like you don't deserve that. It's been about a year since this incident happened, and I worry for my little sister still. She's so little and has already had to hide her emotions. And being the oldest, I feel like I have a responsibility to protect her. And it's hard for me to look at you right now because I'm crying. <laughs> I don't want you to look at me this way. Because like when you would tell my mom, like, oh, I want to be like her. Or... I want to do what she does, you know, like colleges around the corner. And I'm supposed, like, I want to move out, but at the same time, I don't. Because I'm worried for you. I'm worried for what might happen to you when I'm gone, or like, even if, like, I'm still debating if I should leave or not. Because I don't want to be here anymore. I really don't. I learned that she never tells anyone about her story, and neither do I. But I still can't process the fact that she's just so little to be feeling the way she does, and I didn't know about it. Sometimes I just space off, and then I'm like, that happened? That happens to me all the time. I space out at school, and people are like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, or like, I look sad. That's because I'm always thinking... My friends, like, they're always on to me. Like, if I look mad, they're like, Why are you mad? Yeah, and I'm like, Oh, it's because I... Uh, I don't know, because my friend got me mad. Because I have this friend, and he's annoying. And I'm like, Be quiet! And then I am mad. 
and then like if I'm sad they're like what happened I'm like well because like I didn't pass the test or I got a bad score or I feel like my grades are gonna drop or my teeth they remind me of you why they remind me of you the thing about my sister is that she doesn't like to be sad or have others around her be sad she always finds a humorous way to make people around her laugh, whether someone is mad, sad, or just trying to have a moment. I feel like you don't push me away. I feel like you want me there. I'm the one pushing you away. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I'm shocked how mm, you stay happy and I stay happy. Although she has hard times talking about those days, she always manages to stay positive and silly. That's why I love that little girl. I, I don't know. I spend a lot of time in the bathroom. I, I like the bathroom. I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the bathroom is where I can cry or get mad. Because, like, when I'm about to cry and my mom yells at me, I literally rush to the bathroom, I close the door, and I lock it, and then I just cry in the toilet. But you see, you will never tell me this. Yeah. Why don't you ever tell me any of this? I don't know, because I just, I don't know. I don't tell anyone about this. During this time that my parents were so focused on their problems and I was focused on mine, I never stopped to realize that my little sister was hurting, maybe even more than I was. So, when the next day, like, I woke up and I did everything. And then, like, I didn't want to eat breakfast. Not really. And then... Good thing, because I think my padrino took me that day. Oh, to school? Yeah, with Yair. Uh-huh. So, like, like, Yair was... Did he cry in front of them? I tried. But after this, it helped both of us to understand each other. And we learned that we shouldn't go through anything else alone. No one should. When it was recess, because, you know, elementary is awesome, and we have recess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I don't, but um, when I went to recess, I didn't want to do anything. And everyone, like my friends started to notice, and they're like, are you okay? And they're like, where's your spark? Where's your funniness? Where's your colors? Colors? Yeah, because I'm funny and awesome and beautiful and and, <laughs> and and different and cool. She always finds humor in the littlest things possible, which makes her so amazing. But there's one thing that she left me in shock. I didn't know she ever described me as. You were courageous. You were like a hero at that time. She called me a hero, a person with no cape, a person with no power, just a person with love. But I guess that was just enough for her. But everything she told me was enough for me to understand her. Tanya Mendoza is one of those students with whom you always want to have conversations. She's lively, she's smart, she's kind, and uh, she's paid attention to her 18 years in this planet. She has no problem challenging any views she disagrees with, but she's also open-minded and very willing to have her mind changed on any topic if your arguments make sense. I've had my share of conversations with her, but this segment, the one that she worked on, it surprised me. Here's Tanya with her story. My name is Tanya Mendoza. 
and my father is an alcoholic. As one of the producers of the 408, I wanted to give someone a chance to have a voice and a bigger platform to do so. And now, as afraid as I am, it's my turn to tell my story. I never talk about my dad because he's not really present. He's usually working or drinking, so there's not much to say. I don't think I can say my father was never an alcoholic because he drank since he was like 12. At least that's what he says. I never called him an alcoholic before. I never thought it was that serious. But I mean, come on. He's been drinking since I was very little. When I was younger, it was always scary to hear the door open because I never knew if my dad was gonna be okay. Like if he was sober or if he was drunk. I remember it was always, there was always a lot of yelling and screaming and just arguments back and forth. Um, things never really changed as I got older. Um, my family just got bigger. I have siblings now. I'm the oldest of three. And now I just feel like I have to be strong for them. So there's not really much time for crying or whining or anything like I did when I was little. Um, now there's a lot of just, you know, telling them that everything's okay, everything's gonna be fine. I usually like hug them or I take them outside so that they don't have to hear anything because I just don't want them to think that their parents are horrible people because they fight a lot. Um, I also don't want them to think that my father is a monster because I know for a long time I felt that, that every time he would walk in, I, I would just hate it, the way he smelled, the way he talked, even the tone he talked in. I was so disgusted by it. I was just like, how can you come home like that all drunk and stuff? I All I can think of was hate. And hate is a strong word, but that's all that was happening on my head. It was just like, I, I hate this. I hate you. I hate you for coming like this. I like, why, why, why are you my dad, you know? I don't feel like I've done anything that bad to deserve that and so I don't think I ever want my siblings to feel that way um but I also don't want them to think that it's okay to act like that because I know there's one thing I've learned is that I never want to be the that person you know I don't want to be my mom or my dad I don't want to act like an alcoholic around my kids but I also don't want to put up with it. Um, I think that my siblings have been a way that I can be strong, stronger, because um, I can't really cry in front of them because they get even more scared or they feel like something's even more wrong. So if I'm calm, they kind of try to like calm themselves too. They're like, okay, like, it's fine, yeah, you're right. Um, 
Um, it's never been easy. But it's not something we can't handle. I mean, the days that my dad isn't drunk, it's probably like the best days of my life. And I, and I see how like wonderful of a person my dad is. Like, he's so fun, you know. He's he, he like he cares. Like that's what I think, right? But after seventeen years, I think I'm tired of it. I'm just tired of the same thing happening. You know, like Monday through Thursday, we are fine. We're having dinner. We're all good. And Friday night comes around and and we don't know if he's going to come home early or if he's going to come home late. You know, um, when my mom's phone rings, we're always like, um, who is it? Or is it my dad who called you? You know, we're just like wondering where he's going to come home, if he's going to come home. Like, are we going to go out to eat with him or is he just going to be mad? Should we like, I don't know. It's it's very unpredictable and very scary, very unstable. Um, I think that there was this one time that I asked him why he couldn't just stop drinking. And he said he couldn't. And I remember just thinking, like, how damn selfish are you, man? Like, like, you don't care about your family. You don't care about me. Like, all you care about is you and your damn freaking beer. But, you know, I think, like, my dad never really knew how to be a dad. You know, he didn't have... An example of what a good father was you know his father would drink as well and his mom died a died a young at a young age so he was not really like close to any of his parents and he never really had love or attention or any care and like yes I take that into consideration but I don't think it's enough of an excuse to justify his actions if anything I feel like it should have been something in the back of his head to be like, you know, I don't want to be like this around my kids. I want to give them what I couldn't have. But um, it obviously didn't work like that. Um, I don't want to make my dad sound like a monster. But, you know, like it got to the point where once, you know, my little brother just he got caught up in between like one of their arguments. And he was just like, I just want to be a happy family. And I couldn't believe he said that. It was such a very, like, heartbreaking moment. But I was kind of glad he did. Because all I could think was, like, are you guys going to listen to that? Like, is that uh, is that not a an eye-opening moment for you? Like, to, like, your little kid is crying, telling you, like, why can't we just be happy? Like, doesn't that tell you that he's, like, miserable right now? And I guess because I never said anything about how I feel. I've never said, like, oh, I hate this, or I want to go, or I'm running away. I've never really done anything, like, act out because of these things. Because I've always felt like if I did, it, it would just go worse for me. <laughs> but, um, I just think... 
that I can finally say that I realized that my dad might never change. And that's fine because, you know, we are going to grow up and we're going to make our own decisions. And it's just a learning experience. Like, yes, it's hurtful to see your dad like that. And, you know, I don't wish anybody this. But you get to the point where you realize that you can't help someone who doesn't want to help themselves. And if my dad one day wants to help himself, he will. And us, you know, his family will be there with him. But he just has to want it first. And I think the only reason I can finally speak about this is because I found someone who understood. It was very um, helpful and just like it felt like this weight had lifted off my shoulders. Like I didn't have to hide anymore. It wasn't like, it wasn't the end of the world. Like it happened. I felt extremely lucky to have found someone that I can talk to. I'm glad that I can accept the facts now. But this was more than just about me. I wanted to share my story so that no one else has to feel like they're the only ones. Because you're not. You're not alone. And no one's home is perfect. And yours isn't broken. But before I go, here's a little poem I wrote. You're not coming home. You're lost in a bar nowhere to be found. I was eight, praying you get home safe. But it's late and I stay awake. I think to myself, for heaven's sake, is God fake? I used to blame God for not listening to my prayers, for not hearing my cry for help. I would wish for a cure, as if you were sick and couldn't help yourself. But no treatment can help someone drowning themselves. I remember sitting at the dinner table alone, Trying to figure out why you were mad today. Until this day, I still wonder why you sit in silence with a tormented look like you're mad at the world. Things haven't changed. I used to stay up all night waiting to hear who would yell louder this time. I would tremble out of fear that you would beat up mom. It's hard to say I have a father who's never been around, whose addictions trouble me every Friday night whose words are meaningless because it's just the bottle talking. I don't blame you for your actions. I know you lack the love and affection. I blame you for not breaking the chain that incarcerates your emotions. I had to grow up fast. I had to be there for the little people. So I taught myself to feel, to care, to love. High school friendships are important, I think. You learn about yourself through your interaction with people, and high school is when you're starting to pay attention to who you are, you know, to the nuance of you. In this next segment, Reina Morales discusses friendship, what it has meant for her, and how her views have evolved in the last year. My first ever best friend was in second grade. Her name was Fatima. Keep in mind that this was second grade, so all we did was go out and play, do homework, and eat lunch together. As I grew up, I found it difficult to make friends. Well, maybe not make friends, but keep them. 
I'm a very distant person. I don't like to open up. And because of this, I consider myself a bad friend. I push people away because I think to myself that I am protecting them. That I am avoiding them getting hurt by my actions and words. In reality, I think it's to protect myself. I met a group of friends recently. It has been pretty amazing. They are genuine and nice and understanding and patient. Which is something I've gotten before. But it's the first time I cherish. That is why I decided to interview one of my friends. I wanted to see what they thought of me, how they portrayed me, and how they made me feel portrayed or some sort of thing I imagine I do. I don't know what I want. In some ways, I want them to say that I'm right, that I am a bad friend, that I don't deserve their friendship. And I don't know why. Maybe if they say this, I'll feel like I know myself. Do you think we're friends? Yeah, I do think we're friends. Why? Um, because I feel like, I mean, we already established this before, and I mean, you kind of, you already have opened up to me, in a way, and like, I don't think, you know, a stranger would do that to another person like that. I think we'll be friends and friends opening up to each other like that. A friend is when two people, like, I guess they build a relationship over time, and like, I guess they say to the point where they can like, trust one another. I mean, they don't have to tell them their secrets and shit, but... Then what's trust? Trust? I mean, why do you gotta tell your secrets? You don't have to. Okay, then... That doesn't make you a good friend. Just that sometimes you gotta, like, keep a secret, even though it doesn't involve the other person. But, um, I feel like what's, uh, like, what makes you friends, I guess, is, like, you, you'll know once you're, like, you're friends with that person. You know, like, you'll both click. Has there ever been a moment where you thought I was a good friend? Yes, there has been moments where you were a good friend, and those moments... Um, oh, when we went to Six Flags, that was a good moment. You were, like, helping all of us out um, towards, like, this one guy that was in our group when we were riding the coasters. He was, like, being scared of all the rides, but, you know, you're being, like, really good. And, like, I felt like a really good friend to him. And I feel like other people would just be like, you know what, go on by yourself. Like, you know, I don't want to be with you because, you know, you're dragging us down. You know, we can't go on the good rides, but... But you're, like, you know, you're being a good friend. We had good moments right there, you know, jokes. And I didn't really care about the rides anymore because I was just like, oh, you know, I'm with, like, you and then the other people because, you know, you guys are bringing good moments right now. Have you ever thought I was a bad friend? A bad friend? Not really. Nah, because... Nah? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I will keep your word for it. Have I ever let you down? Uh, No, you haven't because... I never, like, expected something from you just just to be a friend, and that's it. See, that's where, like, friendship to me is different because I feel like you should expect something from a person. So what do you expect? Out of friendship? Um, I think there should be some form of trust. I mean, do you really have to tell everything to that person? Like, even though... Maybe not to that one specific person, but you should have friends that you can talk to. About your, those secrets or about... The situation that you're going through now that's something else like if you're going through something then obviously if you had real friends then you'll be able to go up to them they'll listen and you know maybe i don't do something. agree i don't agree with that so i don't agree because i feel like if you have like i don't know maybe it just has something to do with the fact that i don't want to like bother people if that makes sense bother people like yeah like bother I people don't, with your problems exactly like let's take that's a scenario, right? I have this issue, 
and I come up to you and I'm like, hey, Bryant, this and this and this, like, this is going on with me. It seems so unfair of me to put something on you when it has nothing to do with you. What are you putting on me, though? Nothing. I'm tell. Well, you're just telling me what's well, going on. Well, I guess on. that depends on the friend then. It depends if you care or not. And if I did, I mean, if I care, what can a person really do though? At the same time. Well, not at that much. moment, I feel like that's when you like need to put the your time thing, into this person. Well, the only thing I can think to say I would do, or I, well, a person can do, is just comfort you, support you. Exactly, but that that takes a lot out of someone. It takes a lot out of me. Like, if someone's sad, I'm like, damn, like, what am I gonna do? Like, I don't want to be in that situation, so I don't like putting people in those situations. So that's how you like. I guess you could say, um, find where your, who your real friends are? No, not, not no, that. Not, it's not. before I can establish a oh, real okay. friendship, I, like, walk away because I know that I won't be able to live up to this task that I think is a friendship. So you're not giving them a chance? I'm not giving myself a chance. You're not giving them a chance? Yeah. I, I was having this conversation with my mom, and she was like, you say that you want to, like, protect your friends. You don't want to hurt them in, like, some form of way. And she's like... To me, it sounds like you're just protecting yourself, like you're being very selfish. And I'd never seen it like that. Like, I've always been like, oh, I'll leave before. I'd rather hurt them now than hurt them later when I can't tell them or they can't talk to me because I won't be there for them. But my mom was like, you're protecting yourself. And I kind of see it now. I'm like, yeah, maybe I don't want to get hurt. Or I don't want to have this friendship and be like, oh, they're supposed to do that. And if they don't meet my standards, then... I'm going to be disappointed. So why don't you tell the person beforehand? Because that's so much to ask for. No, if not. I were to tell you, okay, this is what I want from you, don't you think that's like what the hell? Like, well, I mean, the, the only thing I'm just gonna like, the only thing I'm gonna like notice is like, oh, she knows what she wants. Every time that I say I'm a bad friend, what goes through your head? I'm like, well, I mean, maybe you were a bad friend to others, but to me, nah. Like, maybe you haven't done that yet, or you can't. Maybe or, I think you don't care enough. No, it's not that. It's just like you just haven't been a bad friend. I don't think so. You just haven't been a bad friend? I think I've been a bad friend to you. How? I can't... Can I think of a moment? Yeah, sometimes I ignore you. I don't even know if you realize. If you don't realize, it's because no, you No, I care. do realize, but I'm just like, oh, that's her being her. That, but I don't want people to know me like that's that. That's her being her. And, like, that's okay. It's and that's I'm still though. friends, because I'm like, oh, that's Raina. That's her just being Don't her. you think that's kind of, like, messed up to be like, oh, yeah, that's the girl that, like... Sometimes she'll be my friend, and then sometimes she. Comes it's not that, that it's not that you'll be sometimes my. It's not that sometimes you'll be my friend, and then sometimes you'll just be ignoring me. That sounds and messed up to me, though. It's not. There was a moment between us and another friend that we shared, where I completely walked out of the situation. And that moment, that one specific person told me, "You know, you can trust us, right?" And I felt bad, not because I couldn't trust you guys. Because if anything, I know that out of everybody that I know, you're two of the people that I would talk to. I felt bad in the moment because I couldn't. Not because I didn't want to. I just couldn't open up. And it's not like this whole situation of like, oh, I just don't trust you or you're not a good friend. You're not good enough. That wasn't the, the case. And that's exactly what I told that person. I was like, it's not you in this moment. It's just I couldn't open up. Why couldn't you open up? Are you interviewing me? I'm just asking, why can't you open up? Um, see, I just don't know. I feel like it's pretty embarrassing. I told you something, and I was super, even though you didn't notice, I was super embarrassed to even see you. I, I didn't want to see you. Not not the whole, the other thing, when we were on the phone. I was super embarrassed to see you because I was like, oh my God, this person knows something about me now. 
And I know you're not the type of person to go tell somebody else, but I really care about my self-image. I don't want people to see me as like, oh, this and this happened. I don't want to be like this person because of everything that has happened to me or what I'm going through. So when I tell people stuff, I feel like either at that moment, my friendship grew stronger or I have to cut them out of my life. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sucks, but I really don't know where that comes from. Like, I don't. From your dad? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe I'm like, oh, if I couldn't trust, like, my dad, what makes me think I can trust, like, these random people at my yeah. school or wherever I meet you guys? Don't you think that's, like, a bad friend? Like, that's so selfish of me because I'm not even trying. Or even when I say I will try, I walk out, I'll walk away. Nah. For me, being a bad friend is just, like, I guess you could say lying to that person. Like, lying that you do care. Lying that... Do you think I'm lying that I care? Nah. You do care. And it's kind of noticeable. You can tell when someone cares and when someone doesn't. Just that sometimes they can't, I guess you could say express that they do care and like that's when people I don't know get the bad reception and like oh you know that person is a bad friend but um what like what you just said all of that like I don't think that just makes you a bad friend that just makes you being scared of becoming friends and being attached to someone and that's kind of it that was my conversation with my friend Bryant. I think I chose him because I knew he would disagree with me. Halfway through the interview, I felt like he was interviewing me instead of the other way around. I don't know why I consider myself a bad friend, but I am understanding that maybe it's just me. Surrounding myself with types of friends to help me understand and are patient with me has been good. During this interview or conversation, I learned some stuff about myself. I learned that I need to be patient with myself and less worried. Although it's not gonna happen overnight, I understand now that there are people that wanna help me and I should cherish it. And I think I am. I hope I am. Carlos Garcia is a quiet dude. He always seems lost in thought as if he's contemplating the meaning of all that surrounds him. He's one of those kids I wish I would have had more conversations with, more time to bond. In this next segment, Carlos shares the power of dreams and how dreams can sometimes be powerful allies in life. We all have dreams, I'm sure. We have dreams of becoming a doctor, lawyer, an awesome entrepreneur, anything that has to do with becoming the ideal you. However, that's definitely not what I'm going to be talking about in this segment of the podcast. Instead, I'm going to be talking about the importance of those dreams that happen when we're trying to achieve those Z's and how they might just reveal what seems to be on your mind all day. My name is Carlos Garcia, and we'll be taking a trip down dreamland.
First, let's get scientific here and talk about why dreams happen. Dreams can happen at any time during the sleep cycle, but the most crazy vivid ones happen during the REM cycle, which is fancy for rapid eye movement, and this means it's a timing where the brain is most active and has more rapid eye movement. Hence, the name. <laughs> Quite interesting, don't you think? Well, not really. So, let's get a, a little more scientific here, and let's talk about the cycles. Let's say you just have fallen asleep. What happens in the beginning is that you get a non-REM sleep cycle first, and then start with a short REM about 90 minutes into sleep. And this first REM cycle lasts about 10 minutes. However, this cycle repeats, but each of the later REM cycles starts becoming increasingly longer. And in summary, you have a REM cycle about every 90 minutes, and each one lasts longer than the previous one. Uh, sounds a little mind-juggling, don't you think? But you'll get it if you replay this segment. Now, that that's out of the way, I'll be sharing one particular dream I had and how it reveals something I was afraid of at the current time. And I will be kind of like breaking it down and seeing what we, what we can uh, see from the dream or what we can get from the dream. At the time I had this dream, I was in a period in my life in where I was afraid in dealing with my future, de dealing with my college choices, and especially being indecisive in what major I wanted to choose for the rest of my life. Well, not for the rest of my life, but for the most part, for something that I was interested in for a part of college, you know. So, if I recall correctly, this dream happened and it was a pretty long one, I would say, and I remember it very clearly. Here it goes. The dream I'm about to talk about happened before I received a journal. It's still blurry, but I remember I was walking towards a hill about the size of Hollywood Mountain. And when I got closer to the top, there was this sort of arena, similar to nothing, <laughs> because it was a square-shaped space made on the pure ground. It was weird. In the arena, there was many people. There were many people fighting, Avatar Aang style, kind of like the Avatar The Last Airbender, if you watched any of the shows when you were a little kid. Hopefully you get any of this. Please do, if you do. <laughs> there were many people fighting, Avatar Aang style. More or less, people fighting with the power of the elements. Fire, earth, water, and air. You know, same old, same old. There was this one guy in particular who looked like a wizard and it looked like he was the strongest because he had apparently beaten all the other people, all the other contestants, all the other fighters. I didn't fight though. I did have earth power apparently because uh, this dream is starting to sound a little, a little childish, don't you think? I know. But this is a dream, right? <laughs> it doesn't represent the person <laughs> I'm kidding anyway so I did have earth power which I used instead to maneuver my way around the fighters and it did so really easily in a way that they didn't even notice me afterwards I kept walking towards the top and noticed that there were two black people sitting in some heat power benches and were just talking with them within themselves. 
They noticed me, but didn't say anything. I, out of nowhere, switched up my location, and everything like behind me started like changing, morphing into a different room. I was just somewhere else, and apparently, I was now talking to this random, random girl I had never met, and kept talking and talking, which I don't remember anything we talked about. It was just random talking, but it felt like I was talking to an actual person, you know. Until everyone else in the scene was gone, even the people that were talking previously when I, before I got there. And I was alone in the bench. A few seconds later, my heart started pounding. Now, now I felt like this rush of adrenaline coming to me. And I felt like I was getting anxiety for some reason. The whole image went red. My whole peripheral vision was all red. Everything was turning into like this crazy uh, just run type of scenario after that um, a voice started screaming run 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 like repeatedly in the back and hence I started running <laughs> and the path in front seemed unrealistic because it was just being made of I was running it's kind of like just <laughs> really weird it was as if it was being generated which as I just said. I had not noticed, but one of my friends was there and he was running with me, but he was faster than me, which is weird because I'm usually the faster guy in the running, um, <laughs> the running, you know, thing. The path seemed to have loaded and noticed there were trees around the road. Em and I were just running in, but I didn't see the point in running because there was any there was no one chasing us I was just running because I heard the voice run and I still heard it like echoing in the background but I don't know I just kept running afterwards I looked back to see if we were being chased and in fact we were which was what two two minutes into the dream after running afterwards I looked back and all I can remember is that there was this human looking guy, well obviously, a kind of like marine style person. And he had similar characteristics like mine. He was it was as if I was being chased by myself. Uh but I couldn't recognize his face. Like I couldn't see clearly his face. It was kind of blurred. But I if I could tell you honestly right now, it was probably like it was probably me <laughs> being chased by myself. I was being chased by my own, by my own hand. This in turn made my fear go extensively high. Even more apparently, I started panicking and so my speed increased. And I was running and running and running towards the top of the hill. It was like a really long stretchy road. And I got to the top, right? And there was this fence. And I saw Eric running in front of me. And he was just like, come on, man. You gotta, like, run away from this guy. And then he just jumped the fence immediately. And when once I got to the fence, that thing started looking bigger and bigger as I got closer to it. And Eric was on the other side of it already. And the Marine or the dude or me, whoever, was the person that was chasing me, just came and... He was getting closer 
and I was like fearing for my life and I just started climbing the fence, right? But as I was climbing, the fence was getting longer and longer. And I was like, what What the hell is going on? And then the guy grabbed me. He finally catched up to us, or me at least. Eric was safe, apparently, and he couldn't help. <laughs> but the guy grabbed me. He was pulling my leg. And I was like, no, no, stop, stop. I was just screaming, like, let go, man. Come on, man. You can't be doing this. I was, I was just like yelling for my life. And then I just jumped. I just jumped and jumped and climbed and climbed and did everything I could just to get on top of the fence. And I did it eventually. And once I jumped to the other side, the dude that was chasing us just looked at us. And I still couldn't recognize him. And he was just like, I will still get you. And so I just ran away. Eric was just standing there. He just stayed looking at the other guy. And I kept running towards the, the top of the hill. It was like a extremely steep hill. I got to the top and there were like some bushes there. And I went inside like it was a, like, a, like a game. And then once I went inside, like everything just turned dark. And he was like, I will always get you. And then I woke up. <laughs> and I was fascinated by like, I was not fascinated, but scared. I was like, what the hell is going on? I need to rethink what's going on in my life. You know? After having that weird dream, I decided to look it up and couldn't find anything specific to it, which is obvious now that I think about it, because everyone's dreams are unique and belong to that individual dreamer only. However, I was still able to find the general idea of it, which was being, which was that of being chased. This meant that I was avoiding either the specific person doing the chasing or an issue I've been avoiding. And this made me realize that yes, in fact, I was avoiding an important part of my life. That, and that was choosing where I wanted to go to college and what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And realized that even if I did end up choosing a major that I didn't like, I would always have the chance of changing it as long as I would make it quick. <laughs> Dreams are entertaining, weird, and frightening, but they sometimes help us figure out key issues that have been affecting us consciously and subconsciously. Also, remember that dream interpretations can be as simple and as complex as you make it. It's your dream anyway. I can't think of Brian Hernandez and not think of music. It's, it's impossible. I think that's true for anyone at LASA. It, uh, students and faculty alike who think of Brian today, they must think of music. You can tell by the way he is immersed in whatever is playing in his headphones that when he's listening to music, he is in the music and that everything outside his head has blurred. In this next segment, Brian explores this and lets us peek into this world in which he belongs. News Flash, the March of Doom. 
Tonight, hour after hour by shortwave wireless, the news piles up from the capitals of the U.S. World-shaking, momentous news that sends our nation's leaders scurrying back to Washington. The grim, portentous news is that the arch-villain M.F. Doom has emerged from a self-imposed exile. Hi, my name is Brian Hernandez, one of the creative directors for the 408. What you just heard right now was a live recording from one of my favorite rappers, MF Doom. MF Doom is one of the big reasons why I love music. But today we are not going to be talking about why I love music because of MF Doom. We are going to go in depth. We are going to be talking about reasons why I love music and the deeper aspect of it. Silence. Silence is what I've experienced as a little kid so many times. I don't have a big family. All I have is my mom and my dad here. And as a little kid, they'll always be working. Always. To the point where I was always by myself at the house. Just me and the four same walls every single day. Just playing video games or about the routine of me going to school. Going home, just playing video games and waiting for them to come home like around 8 or 7. As I grew older, time passed, and I've found new friends, new homies, and long story short, they've introduced me so many things, and one of those things were MF Doom. And when I started to listen to MF Doom, I noticed how great this artist really was. And because of that, I got curious of the music world. I started listening to Frank Sinatra, Opera, Sammy Davis Jr., Older hip-hop, David Bowie, Billy Idol, you know, all these artists. It then became a passion for me. But the reason why I was listening to music at that age was because of how beautiful it could be. I appreciated music so much that I became passionate about it. I would always have like debates on who was the greatest or why this album was great or not with other people. It was just so much fun, and it still is. But maybe... I would listen to it because it would like help me sometimes. I listened to a lot of music back then because sometimes it'll make a memory even better. I also like it because of the technical side of how artists can be so great at their at their crafts. And basically those are the two main reasons why. Even though I'm still trying to find, figure out more reasons, but those are like the biggest reasons. I love music because the technical side and how great of an artist you can you can be and how an experience can be so much better with music, basically. Now, a deeper side is when I was doing this podcast, I was just trying to figure out why I really do like music. And actually, I came up with this. Basically, I love music because music was like an imaginary friend of mine. When I was alone in my house and I didn't know nothing about music, I was just always alone. It was kind of quiet, you know, the same four walls. But... When I started, when I got into music and started playing music in my house when I was alone, it made me feel so much better. It made me feel warm. 
you know, it was like a blanket or something like that. It would, it just painted my walls where I felt great. I will forget about being alone. I didn't really care about that anymore. It's pretty short on why I love music. Now, there isn't really much to it because it's kind of hard to explain. I'm still trying to figure it out today, like I said. But I wanted to get a different perspective in that. That's why I went to interview Maria, a childhood friend of mine. I wanted to see her perspective. I wanted to see if she knew even if I love music like that. So here's Maria. When is your first early memory with me and my music? Oh, we take it back when he was barely a sixth grader and I was a fifth grader. So I guess this was like, you know, the big opening to the real world or more so like the teenage world. And um, I was still a kid and he was kind of like expanding more to his own creation ideas, but that came from music. And I remember when he would just walk in the house because we take it back since we were smaller and he would just sit there and I would look at him like, blank like I, I was clueless and he would just talk about all these like big rappers that I have no idea even to this day I have no clue what the hell they are but he would talk about how the amazing they were and they're like oh did you hear it was it MF Doom yeah like, MF Doom oh wow like MF Doom like he's so cool like have you heard his lyrics and stuff like this and like I didn't have friends at the time so I would just kind of listen to him because he was uh -huh. the only comfort I had so I was just like, oh, damn, that's cool. Like, to the point where, like, he liked music so much that he would, like, try to get me into it. And I was just like, bro. How did music change me? Well, from how I noticed it or how I saw it was that before you were, like, a typical... You were a typical seven-year-old boy with, like, very basic dreams. And, um... Like I said, like how it started off in sixth grade, from there you became like a very antisocial person. But it wasn't antisocial in a bad way. I mean, I knew him, so I knew that this type of antisocial wasn't bad. But for those who don't know him, people would consider it as rude. Like, why doesn't he talk to me? Like, why is he so quiet? Like, does he have something going on? But it's not that he was um, selfish or that he was conceited or that he just didn't want to talk to anyone. He just found that he found through music that he was more important and not that he didn't care about anyone else, but that he really got to know himself within the lyrics that the music would provide for him. And these lyrics would say stuff like that would change his mind. That was like what nobody can say out of the ordinary. So, uh, fuck. so music, music was like a big aspect for him. And, um, I mean, even now, it's like you see a quiet, a quiet, tall guy just walking around school, kind of minding his own business. You don't hear much from him, but there's so much you can know about him and you can only know about him through music, like the lyrics. Like if you're hearing the lyrics and the music that he hears, he's talking to you. It's what he's been through his whole life. Why do you think I love music? Um, so this applies for both of us because I kind of grew in with music, but this is kind of like an the individual story, but we're both, um, like, we're, we don't have any brothers, we don't have any siblings, any family towards us besides our families, which is our mom and our dad, so, you know, as he grew up, like, he didn't really have anyone to rely on, it was just me and, like, me only and his friends, and... 
I guess through music, like he learned how to kind of walk on his own. It was his safety blanket. Um, when I wasn't around, or even now, his homies, when they're like they weren't around, like he would use music to like straight up. He loves music, not only because the music and the melodies like are like what sex to his ear, but it's it's him having a safety blanket with him, growing up with it. He doesn't have anyone else. Um, his parents are always working, so I mean, who else does he have? I have stuff to do. His friends have stuff to do. So he has nothing nothing else to do with his life but to sit down, hear music. I mean, he wants to grow up with music too. He wants to make music as an attribute for him. So it's important for music to stay with him because without music, he wouldn't be who he is now. And I wouldn't know who he is as a person because he's not much of a you know, person that speaks. That imaginary friend, which is considered music, kind of walked in through life. If you've ever like read any of his writings in class, which I don't know, but I'm pretty sure they're good. And from a person that doesn't speak much, you know, like, you, you wonder, like, what, why, how does he write so good? Like, he communicates with us, yes, to, you know, learn more about English. But how, how does he get, like, stuff that we can't teach to him in paper? Your answer is music. Do you guys ever wonder who he would be without music? Like, do you guys ever wonder, when there's no music, what does he do? When I finished interviewing Maria, I was surprised. I didn't even know that she actually paid attention to me like that. And she kind of just proved that the biggest thing that I'm just trying to like tell everybody is that music was just like an imaginary friend of mine this whole time. Music is my passion. And I feel like with every passion, there's a background story that should be said, a beautiful story that should be said actually. And I can't wait to listen to yours. So this was mine. This was my story of why I love music. Thank you for listening. And just enjoy this little beat I made just for you guys. And just like that, another season of The 408 has come and gone. I want to thank the entire staff of The 408 for all their hard work and dedication to this podcast. You're amazing human beings, and I'm going to miss you, your work, your talent, and your dedication. I cannot wait to see you walk the stage tonight. You're going to have so much fun. Thank you for all of you also who listen, who tune in, who write me letters about why it is that we only do one podcast a month and not two. Um, thank you for sticking with us through this third season. We will see you again back in August for season four of the 408. <laughs>